Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today, I am so excited because I have one of not only the best humans in the world, one of the strongest female investors and entrepreneurs that I've ever met, which is awesome, but also just a great friend. Um, over the last few years, I've really gotten to know and appreciate uh, Kathy Fecky and also her husband, Rich, just one of the most dynamic couples that Kara and I know. And, and as you know, if you're a listener of either my podcast, the Investing for Freedom podcast, or Kara's uh, Marriage, Money, and Mayhem, you know that what we really value is our relationship as a couple, the family unit, and then being able to just live life of freedom through investing and, and, and business and, and just entrepreneurship through that. And Kathy and Rich are probably one of the greatest examples of two humans who just love each other. They love all the people in the world and their daughters are just amazing. And so Kathy, I'm just super excited to have you on the show. Oh my gosh, what a lovely introduction. Thank you so much. And investing for freedom. I mean, that's, I love that. I love that. It's not uh, for fancy cars, although that's nice or are, you know, having a private jet, it's freedom, freedom. And then, yeah, anyway, I love that. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I really appreciated from the time that we first met you and Rich is like, you guys just live life on your terms. You're always having fun. I've loved every single dinner that we've sat at, every single conversation we've ever been in. It's really just, it's just about living life and enjoying it. And so you guys are just such a great example of that. I know I already, you know, alluded to it, but um, just super excited. And I was telling Kathy off camera, like we're at episode 220 something. And like, why have I not had Kathy Fecky on? For those of you that don't know Kathy, she is probably one of the most experienced um, entrepreneurs and investors when it comes to, to real estate. And she invests all over. She has an amazing community of people that invest alongside of her. She has many, many operating partners that she's invested in. Just one of the greatest business models that I've seen. And her and Rich, her husband, have just built an amazing team too. But before we go too far off on that, Kathy... Let's go back to like what kind of started all this because I've heard your guys' story and where this like really came about. Um, why don't Why don't you take us into that? Ooh, yeah. Well, it was it was almost twenty years ago. Can you believe that? It was two thousand three, and uh, <clears throat> I was living the dream. Really living the dream. We had just bought this big four thousand square foot house. I was a stay at home mom. I'd been in the broadcast industry, working really hard. Sometimes midnight to 7 a.m. as a news reporter chasing murderers. I mean, it was hard. And uh, and Rich had just come out with his book called Extreme Success and, and uh, was also a personal and professional coach. And his success allowed me to be able to be home and, and raise our little kids. So I was sitting at the I was uh, cooking, chopping vegetables, and my kids were doing their homework next to me. And it was in my new house and just like, ah, life is good. And then Rich walks in and he's crying. And if you've met Rich, I mean, he's a big, strong, you know, big, strong guy who who parachutes out of airplanes and, you know, serves hurricane waves. Like he doesn't cry unless he's happy or he's laughing. But this wasn't happy tears. He had just gotten back from the doctor 
And the he's a redhead, so and he, he was a bodybuilder, so he fried his skin. And I think you know where I'm where I'm going with this. He he did a lot of tanning beds back in the day in the 80s. So this freckle showed up on his forehead and he went in to check it. It turned out to be melanoma. Again, this was almost 20 years ago. And the cure for melanoma was really like death. Like there wasn't one. Uh, so it was terrifying. It was a terrifying time. And the doctor had done more tests. And at this latest meeting, when he walked, when he came home, he had been told he had about six months to live because the doctor had found that it had spread. At least it looked like that from the x-rays. So it's amazing how life can change on a dime like that overnight, where I'm just living my absolute dream to like, oh my gosh, total nightmare. Total nightmare. I mean, little kids, new home, love of my life. He he proposed to me in a prince outfit on a horse. I mean, like it was like my he was truly my prince charming. So uh I want to let our audience know today that Rich is alive and well 20 years later. But at the time we didn't know. And it was very scary. You know, first and foremost, it's like, okay, we need to make sure he gets the help, the help he needs and can take time off and get off the treadmill. And I had to figure out how to get back into the working world. And for a lot of stay-at-home moms, that's scary and hard. It had been a few years since I was in broadcasting. Um, I did have a little weekend radio show I kept just for fun, didn't make any money at it. And uh, I was like, okay, this is this was the first step in my journey is just do what you're already good at, but do it better, you know, use your strengths. So I'm like, well, I've got this little radio show on the weekends. How can I monetize that? How can I make money from that if I'm going to take over the finances for, for a while? So I just changed. Well, first and foremost, I started to look for sponsors who will pay me lots of money. <laughs> and I started calling mortgage brokers. I ended up getting a really good mortgage broker to sponsor the whole thing, wrote me a big check. And, uh, and so that helped our financial needs for a minute. But more importantly, this mortgage broker understood leverage and he understood it from an investing perspective. So all of a sudden, our show, my little show turned into this, how to use leverage to build wealth, which is exactly what I wanted to learn. Because yeah. I wanted to continue to be a stay-at-home mom, but I wanted to make money. So I was like, how do I do that? And I learned, I learned how in those interviews. Wow, so good. And so just give me the like the five minute version. So you started the show and, and let's come from there to today. Uh, <laughs> listeners like the overview of the Real Wealth Network and what is it and what do you guys do? Well, again, it just kind of started with that show where I, I was learning, um, you know, I, I came home to, to Rich and said, oh no, honey, I've kind of sold out. I brought in this mortgage broker sponsor. Now my show is going to be boring because we're going to be talking about rates and who, you know, I'm going to lose my audience. And he goes, well, what if you just did human interest stories and, and interviewed the people? Why are they getting loans? So that's what we did. I just started interviewing all his clients. What are you doing? And it turns out they were buying homes and renovating them and flipping, or they were uh, living in a home and fixing it up and every two years selling it because then you get like up to $500,000 tax-free, right? If, you, if you've lived in it two out of the last five years. Uh, I had people you know, buying investment properties, all kinds of things. And my mind just expanded like, oh, wow, there's all these ways to make money I didn't know about. And the bank will give you the money. Like, how cool is that? And back then, back then, like literally, they gave you all the money. You could get 100% financing. <laughs> like, why wouldn't you? Yeah. So um, then right about 
2000, well, then I became a mortgage broker because our phone started ringing off the hook with people who were like, oh, I like this. I want to do this. And my co-host said, why don't you get your 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 license and do these loans? So I did. I got uh, my real estate license and became a mortgage broker. And our our financial concerns were done. Like I I was making a lot of money. It was by then 2004, 2005. That was the, you know, the credit boom. We, I could make 10 to $30,000 on one loan, you know? So it was, it was, that, that was solved. But then I had, um, then I knew something was wrong. I knew something was really wrong because from the inside, I could see that people would walk in and say, oh, you know, bankers would come in and say, if you use our bank, you know, we, we can go up to $5 million, no income, no assets, like a Nina loan. Okay, how's that going to work out? You know, I'm like this new mortgage broker going, that makes no sense. So sure enough, I had Robert Kiyosaki, who we both know. Uh, he came on the show and he explained how that was going to play out. He knew, you know, he's like, yeah, the way it's going to play out is when these loans adjust and when people have to, you know, make their payments, they're not going to be able to, and there's going to be massive foreclosures. So that was like clue number one. You've got to pay attention to things that other people aren't seeing and that are actually so obvious. And the second thing he said is he was selling all of his high-priced bubble assets and buying in Dallas, Texas. And I asked why Dallas, Texas? And he said, because that's where the jobs are going and the population growth is going. And yet it's still really affordable. So there's high cash flow. Oh my gosh, that just made so much sense. So Rich and I got on an airplane. We and I could again, I was a mortgage broker. I could get unlimited loans with no money down. So we came back with like five houses and uh, and they were $140,000 brand new in the path of progress with new freeways, new buildings, and they they cash flowed. So it just made sense. I talked about that on the radio show. And all of a sudden, not only did people want loans, they wanted homes. So I started doing tours to, to Dallas, helping people sell their overpriced California properties and exchange them, 1031 exchange to Texas properties where they could 5X their cash flow. Many people were able to retire just like that by selling one California property and exchanging it for a bunch in, in Texas. So that's when Rich was like, we should call this something like it's real people sharing their real stories about building wealth, real, how about real wealth network? Yes. That was when our company was born, real wealth network. And ever since we've been helping investors find parts of the country where the same dynamics are in place, where there's strong job growth, strong population growth, but the home prices are still affordable. They're still in line with salaries where rents, where there's, where there's potential for growth, both in rents and home prices. And 20, you know, like 19 years later, we're still doing it today. Overnight success, 20 years. <laughs> you know, and again, I just love, I, I'm sitting here listening and you're talking about, you know, the high priced real estate in California and people, you know, helping people move their money out of California to other places. And I'm just really curious, you said something in 04, 05 that you knew something was really wrong. And I, I'm so excited. We were talking about this before too. I'm so excited to just get your perspective on, you know, where you think that we're at now. Like what's really going on? Because there's so many, you know, I go back and forth, like half the time as a investor, um, you know, even on this show, I think if you go back 12 or 18 months, I'm like, we're all going to die. And then the next month I'm like, no, everything's going to be fine. And then I'm like, we're all going to die. And it's not that extreme, but at the same time, it's like so hard to figure out what's really going on. So I would love yeah. to get your perspective. Number one, you just launched a new show. So what, what is that show again? 
Uh, I am now a co-host of a bigger pocket show called On the Market. And that's what we're talking about every week is what's going on on the market on a macroeconomic level, but also micro, you know, kind of looking at uh, where there's still opportunity. So that's that's the new bigger pockets one. I also have my real wealth show still, the, the original yeah. and real estate news for investors. But, you know, it's a, it's a great question. And I do also panic and I've got rich to always help me just breathe and say it's human nature to want to look for everything that's going to want to eat you or kill you. That's thousands of years of training, right? To protect yourself. But, you know, if we can just breathe and remember what matters most. When I married Rich, I did not marry him for his name, Rich. He wasn't rich. (laughs) I did not marry him for money. I knew that with this guy, I would be happy if we were living in a tent or in the back of a car. It didn't matter. So, you know, it's like, what really matters? It's the people around you, the people you love, the rest, ah, don't let it stress you out. You'll be okay. But with that said, I can tell you 100% that this is not the same market as the last melt. We're we're not anywhere in the same place. In in 2004 and five and six, as a mortgage broker, I can tell you, you could get unlimited loans, no money down, in some cases, money back. Mm -hmm. And we needed no verification of assets or credit or anything. Income, you could make it up. Uh, Most banks, the first loan I turned in, I said, uh, I turned in a friend of mine's loan and uh, the banker came back and said, oh, they didn't qualify. And I was like, oh, that's too bad. I'll let him know. The banker said, oh, no, no, no. We changed his income. Now they, now they qualify. I was like, you can do that. And I came home to Rich and I, I told him and I said, does that sound right? And he says, no, that sounds like fraud. It was obvious. So I refused to do those loans, but everybody else was doing them. Everybody was doing them. If I didn't do it, the person next door would, but I knew that eventually (laughs) people would get caught. So we didn't do it. But, uh, very few people went to jail for that, by the way. Yeah. So uh, it just was obvious to me as somebody knew, like anybody could get a loan as many as they wanted with really no criteria for that. So this is not where we are today. It has been very difficult to get a loan, right? It's mm-hmm. like hard. And yeah. we're, we're going, Rich is in the other room right now, filling up loan, giving more stuff for the lender that on a property we're buying. So it's been difficult to get a loan. Today, we have the highest credit scores ever. When you look at the percentage of loans that people are getting, the FICOs are over 760. Like it's, it's unbelievable. The strong FICO scores, the savings rate, $2 trillion in savings today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the equity within homes, it, it's like this, the amount of money people are sitting on in their homes. So very different. These are qualified borrowers that are locked in low, sometimes 2% interest rates and have enormous amount of equity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so go back 10 years ago. No, they had bad credit. These were subprime loans that started it all. Uh, no money down, bad credit and uh, and no equity, right? If you're putting no money down. So if let's just say that we had a horrible recession tomorrow. What are people going to do? Are they going to go, hmm, I'm just going to walk away from this house that has all this equity and this low payment that's lower than rent. <laughs> you know, no, no, they're not going to do that. There's not going to be this fallout. Then you've got so many people who have just paid cash. Like, I forget what the percentage is, but it's it's quite a large number of people who paid cash to buy these properties because maybe they invested in Bitcoin or something and made all this money. Uh, you have a lot of people 
who are retiring, who sold their high price properties in California and paid cash for their retirement property. So it's not the same market. With that said, we've got some serious problems, serious problems in this country. It's a different one. The, The biggest problem in the housing market is the inventory crash. That's what people need to be focused on. There's not enough housing for demand. And the currency crash. Our, the value of our dollar is crashing by the moment. Those are the things to pay attention to. Not so much housing. That housing is an asset that people need and want. And you have this enormous group of millennials, enormous group, age 29 to 33. It's the biggest group of millennials in that demographic. And so 29 to 33, well, 31 to 33, that's the first time home buying age. Mm. So you've got this wave of first time home buyers that are highly paid, many in the tech industry. They're, they can work from anywhere and, and uh, they have good credit. This is a strong buyer group. And they also have mom and dad. Mm. You know, mom and dad, the baby boomers, are the wealthiest generation ever. The money they've made in their homes and in stock market, they're not going to try to help their kid get a get a house, you know? Um, and in some cases, once that kid gets the house, the payment is lower than the rent because rents have gone up. I don't know if you saw, but in Portland, rents went up 40% year over year. Huh. Yeah, it's insane. Why wouldn't you buy? You know, when you're dealing with that and you're forming a family and having babies, you know, <laughs> you know you're going to do what it takes to buy something, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's the, it's the inventory crash in housing and the, and the dollar crash. That's really the the headline story today. I I have a question on that front. And, you know, I was just just having a conversation with somebody yesterday and we're looking at inflation and whatever inflation is and, you know, what they're reporting versus what it's going to be. And then you look at interest rates and I know I'm just concerned, I'm concerned on one front, but then I'm, I'm not on the other side of it. Um, when it comes to even locking in an interest rate at five percent, because the reality is, I feel like I feel like real estate is probably not going to get any cheaper. If I travel down the road five years, I don't know if a house that I'm going to buy is going to be any less expensive five years from now. I don't know if the interest rate is going to be any better or not. If it gets way better, we can refinance. If it gets way worse, then great, we locked it in, right? But so there's the inflation front. There's interest rates going up, but I keep having this conversation around affordability, which you were kind of starting to touch on a little bit. Mm-hmm. Do you think it gets to a point where, um, yeah, so, and I know we don't have nearly enough inventory, so this is probably going to take a while to shake out anyway, but the affordability aspect, that's what starts to concern me. Even, you know, we have kids that are somewhat the same age. My oldest is 21, almost 22. They're renting an apartment. He started talking about buying a house in Austin, Texas. I'm like, how do you, how do you buy a house in Austin, Texas and he's early, um, you know, at, at the age of 21, 22. But where do you where do you reconcile all that between interest rates, inflation, and then affordability? Yeah, it's, it's all a really good question. And anything I say today, um, I just want people to know it's my opinion. And, you know, you just take the data and use it, but don't uh, sue me for my opinion. Right. <laughs> but, um, right. Here is, here's the issue. Um, we have massive manipulation of our currency, massive manipulation. I remember being a very young girl sitting at the dinner table with my mom and dad and my four siblings. And my dad looked around the room and he said, you know, and this was a long time ago too, right? It must go over over 40 years ago. My dad looked around and he said, you know, it's 
this is going to be the last generation that can that can have a mother that's home with your home with children. Mm-hmm. And we're like, what do you mean, Dad? He said, because of the money printing. And listen, back then the money printing was tiny, <laughs> like barely. Um, and it was actual printing, like they actually printed bills, um, but they were still doing it. And and he said, you know, they're going to get addicted to that because in 1971, we went off the gold standard. And my dad was aware of these things. And he said, it's just really sad. Future generations won't have, won't be able to survive on a one uh, income family. So then, you know, that's when women started, you know, of course, women should work if they want to work, but not if they not feel like they have to. And that's really the society we're in now, right? You kind of need both people to work. So what's next? What's next? Is it going to be that your kids got to gotta work? Is it that families live together? What we know is that politicians want to get reelected and they want to offer things that will get them reelected. And the easiest way to do that is to have the money for it. So the Federal Reserve is in a position that it can print money and the U.S. borrows it because the U.S. Constitution doesn't allow the U.S. to print money. They, they knew that wouldn't go well, but uh, didn't, didn't think about huh, a central bank that makes the prints of money and lends it. Oh, now there's a solution. There's a loophole. So that's where we're at. And just to give you an idea, when I started investing 20 years ago, uh, the money supply, the amount of money just circulating was $3.8 trillion. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's when I started investing. Today, do you know what it is? 34. It's, it's $21 trillion. Wow. It went from $3.8 trillion when I started you know, 20 years ago, well, actually a little more than that, uh, to $21 trillion. That's money in circulation. Yeah. So if you're looking at a, a Monopoly game and everybody's trying to buy the little apartments and houses on the Monopoly board, and you've got your box of fake money, and then the banker is like, you know what? I'm going to bring in another box and we'll just spread that around. And how about we'll bring in a few more boxes of this money? And you've got you know, you're spreading it around the table. So everybody's got a little bit more ammunition, right? We've all got a little bit more money. We're going to bid up those those properties. It's not that the intrinsic value of the property went up. It's that there's just more dollars, more dollars chasing it. And that's where we're at. There's just a tremendous amount of money circulating that was printed just in the last two years since COVID. It went from $15 trillion to $21.7 trillion in circulation. That's $7 trillion, right? Did I get that right? Yeah, almost $7 trillion circulating in two years. Wow. You know, where, where's it going? It always ends up in stocks and, and real estate. Yep. That's where it's going. So inflation, it's manipulated, but it is what it is. It's a game that we don't control. You know, you, you can be mad. You can blog on Facebook. You can, you can post how mad you are that you can't afford rent, or you can learn the game. Yeah. It's not my game. It's not your game. It's their game. It's the, the, the people in charge. You better le- learn the rules. That's the bottom line. Yeah. And the rules are asset values increase in that environment. Yeah, it's so, I, I love it. I love the perspective. What are some of your favorite markets right now that you guys are looking at? Um, you know, we love the Southeast simply because that's where the demographics are going. That's where uh, the population growth is. I mean, you know, just look at Elon Musk, just follow him, right? Um, getting out of California, moving to Austin. Look at you, <laughs> move to Austin. You know, there's, Austin's cool, right? So that's a, that's unfortunately where a lot of Californians are coming because they're like, okay, this is, this works and it's cheaper. So for anyone from California going to Austin, we don't care the prices went up 40%. I don't care. What What is the average price there? 
<laughs> six something. Six hundred? Yeah, that's like, but what can I get here for that? You know, nothing. So, you know, it it just perspective, right? As people are moving around and demographics are moving around and people from the coasts are seeing that there's other places to live that are cool and great and it looks cheap to them. It just looks cheap to them. Same thing, Florida, uh, you've got all the New Yorkers and New Jersey people moving down to Florida. You've got banks moving down to Charlotte and, and the financial industry moving to Florida. You know, they're just sick of these high tax, high cost states. They can move to other places and have uh, pay their employees less and and their employees have a better lifestyle you know so that's we're following the southeast um you know but i I, there you can just about make money anywhere really we're building homes in bozeman montana wow bozeman montana and 90 people on the on the wait list that's wild you know i'm curious of your opinion on this but i've been having conversations lately um i'll throw this out there like when you look at austin I just did a real estate accelerator course with some, you know, kind of entry level, maybe mid-level real estate investors. And there's so many people that like when they when they start thinking about real estate investing and they're looking at an Austin or whatever, they they want to be, I heard this over and over and over. I want to invest in Austin, but I also feel like it's really expensive and the returns are hard. And so, you know, there's these primary markets and then there's the, you know, secondary, the tertiary markets, which we've always talked about. But I'm starting to look just, you know, whether it was Phoenix, which Phoenix is interesting because it's just this huge, you know, big metro area. But when I look at Austin, uh, Meta just announced they're going to build a data storage facility in a place called Taylor that's like, I don't know, an hour, hour and 15 minutes northeast of Austin. And then you look at everything from Austin to San Antonio and um, there's all these affordable areas like Kyle, Texas. And then, you know, basically we're spreading to Waco and then eventually I think it's going to just spread to Fort Worth. And so I've been really, I was just talking with somebody, you, um, you know, we have a mutual friend, Tarl, and him and Grace were in town and we were over at a barbecue and I was talking to a guy that was there and he was talking about, you know, just going outside of those markets a little further out. And there's two things that I'm trying to reconcile in my brain. Number one, we all want to be in the hot markets, right? But if those hot markets are expensive, and again, you said compared to what? I know that Austin isn't really that expensive compared to, you know, California. But when you look at the price that it, um, that things are selling at, and then you look at the rents and how the rents are going, I feel like sometimes we got to start thinking about moving a little bit further out, especially when you know a bunch of people are coming to a certain market. And that was the conversation that I was having. One of the challenges, and we keep hearing this over and over, we keep hearing nobody wants to work. And I'm, I'm like trying to, I've been thinking lately, like if I was going to work in a restaurant, like would I want to drive an hour and a half to go work at a restaurant for eight or nine or 10 or even $12 an hour? So I'm yeah. trying to reconcile all of that in my brain. And I think, you know, just even Karen and I, we've been talking about, like, I love living in Austin. The real estate guys say this all, all the time live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. I want to yeah. live in Austin, but I might start investing in Kyle or up in Taylor mm-hmm. or these yeah. other areas. What's your, what's your thoughts on all that? Well, again, it comes back to my dad. Like it's just getting harder and harder. What's, what's so sad is the lack of financial awareness uh, about what's really happening. <clears throat> what's really happening is there all this money creation. People think, oh, I'm going to get stimmy checks. Oh, I'm going to have my um, student loan debt canceled. What it really is happening, what's happening is, is inflation. And that hits the low, you know, the lower income people the hardest, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it hits people on fixed incomes the hardest. So seniors as well. Mm-hmm. And, and people just don't understand that when you create more money to, to pay for all these things, you're paying for it. It's a silent tax. 
And they're going to keep doing it until people realize, oh, oh, we're getting taxed. Oh, we're getting taxed. All right. It's just lower income. People are paying the highest price on it. And, and the elderly, because people like you and me, you know, so our meal went up 10%. Like, will you notice? Like, <laughs> I'm not going to notice no. if I paid literally, I just, after COVID, the restaurant I love to go to just doubled their prices and we still go, right. We still go. So it really hurts, uh, entry-level people and, and working-class people. So it's not going to get better until the world wakes up to the game, the game that's being played. Okay. That's, that's number one, but yes, um, live where you want and invest where it makes sense. And to me, that's always the more affordable places. I've wanted to invest in Austin and I really should have. We just had this discussion actually on the on the market podcast. Do you invest for appreciation or cash flow? You know, for me, I want both. I want to be in a place where I can buy an affordable property that looks like it's going to have an upside. There's going to be an increase in value. But in the meantime, it will cash flow just in case it doesn't, you know, in case it doesn't go up in value, I'm still getting cash flow. Uh, Austin kind of it, it didn't seem like there was any cash flow, but my goodness, if I had bought when I wanted to buy, I would have, what, what do you, I, I was going to say double my money, but it would be more. I was looking at Austin when homes were like 200,000. So if I'd put $40,000 down and that homes were 600,000 now, I mean, that's not doubling your money. That's 10 Xing, 12 Xing, whatever your money, you know, you've got to think of it that way. So we were talking today, does it make sense to just break even? Does it make sense to you know, in these growth markets to even be a little bit negative cash flow, if you know, you're really in this path of progress. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of a different game, really. But yeah. I do prefer to have all expenses covered, honestly, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, and to your earlier point, and I just want to, like, just kind of have a little conversation, like, this isn't Kathy's, like, professional. I've, Karen, and I've been talking about this so much, because as a real estate investor, I feel like even just with what you were just saying, a lot of the fundamentals, like we, I've started to question a lot of, and this is more in my personal investment stuff, right? Not necessarily our business and where we're buying. We're actually offloading in certain markets when it comes to the business. And But personally, Karen and I have been talking about like, I mean, if I really, I've actually sat on the sidelines for a little bit. I haven't been investing as aggressively. Me too, me too. I'm yeah. like, look how much I've messed out on. And am I yeah. going to wake up like five years from now and wished I would have doubled down or even... The, the thing that I've been seeing is like, where are you going to put your money? And yeah. so even, you just said this a few minutes ago, like cash flow was everything to me back in the day. But now I'm like, I'm starting to think of like preservation. And you yeah. know, we used to think of gold as like our place to like preserve wealth. But like, what is there that's really actually an asset? And you keep, you've said this like through the whole, people need housing. There isn't nearly enough housing. I don't know if there's really ever going to be. When Karen and I bought our house in Phoenix in 2018, I said to, it was the, most we'd ever spent on a personal residence. We've always liked having our house. I don't think it's an asset. It's not going to make me money. Well, this one did. But um, in 2018, I told her then, I said, as long as we plan on staying in this home for five or 10 years, I'm good. We're at the top of the market. That's what I told her. I'm like, we're paying more for this house than we should be. Well, you fast forward to you know six or eight months ago when we sold this house, I, I doubled my money from 2018 to, to 2021. Yeah. Now, when I'm looking at Austin, to your point, we're building a house and the house across the street from where we're building went under contract, I don't know, nine or 10 months ago to build. They just finished it a month ago. The day that it got finished and the people closed, they put a for sale sign in the yard and they went under contract for 2.1 million. And then when they sold it nine months later, 
it sold for like 3.2 million. I'm just like, yeah, well, listen, I've been sitting it out too. And I have, I have racked my head against the, I, I like, what? I've just banged my head against the wall going, Rich, <gasps> we missed out. And, and he'll just laugh, you know, cause it's like, we're doing fine. We're doing fine. <laughs> I think it's probably the same for you. Like, you know, you needed a breather, right? It's been a long haul to get here and, and you don't want to take risks at this point in the game, right? Um, if you're new to investing, I watch a lot of these people that were buying apartments that were not well underwritten and oh my gosh, I'm like, these people are going to get just hosed, but then they turned out. Okay. That was luck. That was luck. The stuff that has happened in the last two years was 100% luck because it could have gone the other way. Nobody who understands the economy could ever have predicted that the federal reserve would do what it did in the last two years. The amount of money that was printed, the fact that they even even just a few months ago, we're saying, oh, this this inflation is transitory. That's the Federal Reserve is in charge of monitoring inflation. You know, if you and I know, hey, if you print a bunch of money, that's probably going to inflate things. They know that. They know that. But then they're taken aback by it. Come on. Yeah. Come on. So um, there's if the Fed didn't come in and print, what did I say, seven trillion dollars over the last two years, that's a lot of money. We, we throw it around like it's not. It's a lot of money. Um, it would be a different situation. And all those newbies that came in two years ago who didn't know they just did it. They did. They got lucky and good for them. Good for them. But this is a time to be more aware of fundamentals. Right. Yeah. Because it could this money could fizzle. It could be. And it is. Right now, the Fed is doing the opposite. So it flooded the market with money. It, it, the Fed was buying um, MBS, mortgage-backed securities, to keep interest rates low, even until just a few months ago. I mean, are you kidding? They're still doing it. In a market where there's so much demand and, and uh, not enough supply, why would you even be helping the market at all? Yeah. Why are they still buying mortgage-backed securities? Yeah. You know, it, it's, it makes no sense. So anyway. That was just a few months ago, they changed the plan. And um, the plan is now to raise rates and taper. So it's like taking the cards off the table. Mm-hmm. How quickly will they do it? We don't know. Will they do it at all? We don't know. All we know is that they're saying we're going to. Yeah. And inflation's out of control. So all the stuff you did over the last two years, you need to rethink. You know, definitely do not get into short-term loans, bridge loans, construction loans that balloon bad, dangerous time to do that. Because you don't know if there's going to be financing that makes sense in a year or two. Uh, you, you just don't know. So, But but locking in long-term debt at 5%, please, I don't want to hear anyone complaining about 5% rates. When, I, when Rich and I started, it was 8%. When my dad was investing, it was 18%. And he still made money. So, you know, 5% is phenomenal. Don't Don't be upset about 5% rates. Lock it in. 30 year fixed and and just buy good assets in areas where there's huge demand for rentals um, or homes and just lock it in and be be cautious. Um, if you're buying multifamily, be really cautious because a lot of people are buying the multifamily. Well, first of all, it's just terribly overpriced, but they're buying it with the idea of flipping basically mm-hmm. and uh, you know, renovating and raising rents and, and on short-term loans be careful, man. <laughs> be careful of short-term loans. 
Yeah. I saw a deal yesterday and I don't even remember, you know, who did it. I think it popped up in the GoBundance group or something, but somebody bought an apartment complex like 16 months ago in Phoenix for like 16 million and they just sold it for 32, like yeah. exactly double. And I'm like, what in the yeah. hell? Yeah. Like, I mean, people like you and me are like, why didn't I do that? Well, we didn't do it because we didn't know the Fed was going to do what they did. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm guessing it was kind of dumb luck on a lot of these, on a lot of these deals and good for, good for them. I'm so happy for everyone who just made millions of dollars. Just don't blow it on the next deal. <laughs> well, I just try to reconcile it in my brain. Like even deals like that. I mean, if, if, if asset prices are doubling and rents aren't doubling, like, I just don't understand the, the economics of it at some point in time, unless, you know, I, I just don't know, unless like to your point, you were saying a lot of these people are getting in thinking or knowing that they're going to flip and flip and flip until they can't. And that's the, yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with, you know, with where we've been and, um, you know, should have, I bought more always. I think I'm always going to look yeah. back and think I, yes. Me I, too. Um, <laughs> Me um, too. Yeah. I just love the, I, I love mining it a little bit and just talking through what, you know, so, um, maybe, maybe last question or two, what, um, what do you think about inflation? Are we just, I mean, cause we've printed so much money. You keep saying it. Mm-hmm. It, it can't level out anytime soon. I mean, unless there's some kind of yeah. correction or. Well, I think it is going to correct. It's, it, inflation is going to come down. First of all, the Federal Reserve is 100%, you know, going for it. They're, they're calling all the shots to lower inflation. And that means raising rates, raising, I mean, look at, the, obviously the Fed doesn't control mortgage rates. They control the overnight lending rate, but they tend to, you know, go hand in hand. So we've seen, rates on primary residences go up 2%. I mean, that's, a, that's massive and just, well, what a month. Uh, so that's going to slow things down. And the Fed is, is raising the overnight rate. They're going to probably raise it another 0.5% or more at the next FOMC meeting. So this year, we're going to probably see uh, the economy slow down a little bit. And a lot of Fannie Mae, uh, Fannie Mae just came out with a new prediction that there will be a recession next year, but not to not to fret. It, it they're basically saying it would just be a brief one, um, as as these rates go up in, in the attempt to slow down inflation. Will that affect the housing market? My you know my industry, I don't think so because the amount of people who are like I said well healed, who want to buy and want to own and don't want to deal with rising rents don't want to get kicked out of their house. They're raising families. When you've got little kids oh, and dogs, you don't want to be forced out of your property, you know, either because the owner wants to sell it or because they want to raise the rents 40% like in Portland. So, you know, if you're 30, I, I know your, your kid is like 22 and one, and it's, it's expensive for a 22 year old, but when you're 30, you know, you're going to find a way to get that stability. And uh, what, whatever it takes, like you said, maybe they're going to move somewhere a little bit cheaper or they're going to get help from the family, but they're going to find a way to get that stability in housing, this, this huge group of people. So inflation, I do think that there will be a little slowdown in demand, uh, maybe a lot of slowdown in demand as interest rates go up. People won't be as apt to go running around and, and ordering things, which is causing this backlog on supplies, which is driving wages up. And as the economy slows, there won't be 11 million job openings. When you have 11 million job openings, employees have to pay more to get employees. They can't get employees. They have to pay more. That creates inflation. So the Fed is going to try to just kill demand, just just knock it out. And they do that 
by again raising rates, pulling money out of the system, and uh, and hopefully slowing down the GDP. So don't freak out when you see that the GDP that the you know the economy is slowing down. That's the plan. Yep. You know, don't be taken off guard. The plan right now, full full board, is to slow down the economy. So just don't freak out at headlines because they're going to try to freak you out. I was in the news business for years. The headline is meant to scare you, to get your eyeballs, you know, to get you to watch. They could sell advertising. Don't be freaked out. The economy is going to slow. How do you prepare for that? That's a great question. Um, <clears throat> what are you guys doing to prepare for that? It's like I said, just, uh, you know, our same plan. The, the thing we've been doing for 20 years, 25 years now is exactly the same. We're, we're finding markets that are still in line where the average person can af afford to live there. But we see something happening. There's demographic shifts, there's businesses moving there, population growth. And we get in there, we, we, we buy the average home in, the, in a populated area that's growing and, uh, and just lock in a fixed rate and rent it out and forget about it. Have 10, 10 months reserves set aside. So if there's vacancies, no one's freaking out. You just, you've got the reserves. You've planned on it. You know, there's going to be vacancies. You know, there's going to be repairs. You have a little pot of money for that set aside. And um, in 2008, I mean, I got well prepared for this by Kiyosaki. Yeah. He's like, this is how you stay out of the storm. Sell your high priced, overpriced stuff that doesn't really cash flow mm -hmm. um, anymore because the prices went up so much. And 1031 exchange it into another area that's still affordable but has growth potential. And people who did that, those of us who bought in Texas in 2005 did not feel the recession. No. The worst housing recession since the Great Depression. Rents were going up. Places stayed rented because we've got we bought quality properties, fixed rates. And people rented. If they, if they were losing their houses to foreclosures, they needed a place to live still. And it was a rental. Yeah. So I don't see a foreclosure crisis coming at all. But uh, if you're worried about keeping tenants, again, I wouldn't worry about that because there's this huge pool of tenants. So good. Well, if there was one clip from that whole thing, it's probably that last little bit there because it's like the same thing I've done for the last 20 years. Like, <laughs> there's right. so much wisdom in it because, you know, and obviously we went all over the gamut because I really wanted to pick your brain on a lot of different areas. But but really, it's just that's what I love about you and Rich. It's always just been the fundamentals and, you know, not the highs and the lows and don't get ex too excited. And um, what do you most well, let me stop you there then. No, 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 no. I made massive mistakes. I wish I had just stayed with what I know works. Instead, I got curious and we did some syndications I never should have done. I, I did some syndications that we knocked out of the park with 40% returns. But then I got a little greedy, like I'm seeing other people do. And we started to work with developers. We did a development in Costa Rica. Well, what do I know about developing in Costa Rica? It's, it's stuck in the mud right now, that project. Great land. The land is doubled in value. We'd probably make money if I could just get my partner to sell it. But, you know, you know we did some things that we, we bought land in North Dakota when during the oil boom. And then, you know, shortly after, like, I know that you should never buy in a market where there's one industry. <laughs> North Dakota, there's one industry, it's oil. So I made mistakes, 100%. And those mistakes were from veering from my plan. I just, I like, I teach this stuff and I veered from my plan. It's so hard. It's so hard. And and trust me, I've, I've made, I've made plenty. Karen and I, you know, even the last couple of years, just um, fixing and correcting. And I mean, even in our personal portfolio, there's some stuff that I should have offloaded a long time ago and it was just out of sight, out of mind. And so um, I appreciate, 
you know, the honesty and the openness there. So last question, then I'll let you go. What are you most excited about? Ooh, that is a great question. I am most excited about your wife coming out to my house for my first women's mastermind of boss ladies. So, uh, you know, we were talking about how that's, there's a lot of programs for men out there and I'm super excited to be starting this mastermind for really, uh, you know, high net worth, high powered women who, who want to be in a room with other women, you know, and we're going to, we're going to have fun. So I'm looking forward to that. And, um, and let's see what else. My daughter's in Asia. <laughs> she's right. traveling. She's living real well. And, uh, you know, I, I keep saying one of these days I'm going to live real well. No, I'm just kidding. I do. I, I love my life, but I, there's things that I would like to do that I put off and it's I don't put it off any longer. I'm going to go visit my daughter in Asia that, and, um, let's see what else, what am I looking forward to? I'm looking forward to investing with you. Rich and I have been talking about that for a while. We know you have a new fund and we want to be in it. Sweet. Yeah. I got your email. I'll, I'll reach out to you. I just, I want to, there might be some opportunities. So it might be fun. Yeah. Sure. Good. <laughs> well, um, Kara's super excited and I am super excited. So as that, uh, women's group comes to fruition, um, you know, just, is there anything people can look at now or is it just too early still? It's a little early, but you can always reach out to um, my, I was going to say to my email, my assistant reads my emails. It's Kathy kathy at realwealth.com if you're interested in that in that mastermind yeah it's so needed um so needed uh kara's kara's working on some of that stuff herself and she's super excited to be with you and again i can't say it enough you and rich are just some of the best people in the world and so i appreciate you coming on oh. and sharing your information and um so your podcast is called and my podcast is the real wealth show that's the original where i just interview people still who tell it tell us how they're living real wealth um mostly as a result from the uh, investments they've made through real estate. So that's always inspiring. And then the real estate news show is just daily real estate news to keep us abreast of all these crazy changes. And then on the market is the Bigger Pockets podcast. Awesome. So, so, so thankful for, again, you and just your time and, and sharing your knowledge and information. Thank you so much for having me here. Cheers. Cheers. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.